Hello, everybody. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, as the case may be. Uh, hold on one second here. Uh, it is uh, November 15th. Let me turn off the music here. Uh, it's November 15th. Um, excited to have you all here today. Excited to talk about uh, my guests and what we're going to be uh, talk about with a, a CEO of a startup called Lone Scale. A little bit about uh, what he's doing and, and the challenges he faces. Um, real quickly, before I get started, wanted to take a moment um, and uh, just, just talk about something really quickly. Um, there's an interesting piece here uh, from Deal Room um, related to uh, impact startups in 2022. And I just wanted to highlight some of the things because I thought this was a really positive report. Um, and wanted to talk about these a little bit. So um, the first thing, some high level takeaways from what we saw with Deal Room. So it's about impact startups. So despite the market being down for investments, uh, levels uh, of investment in 22 are still over 2020 levels. Um, European uh, ecosystem is catching up with the UC, or the US uh, ecosystem. And finally, climate uh, startups are dominating. And I think this is important. I think we're all concerned about ecology. Um, just if you look at, at the size of the market now, um, so the ent combined enterprise value is over 2.3 trillion. Uh, that's quite a bit. Um, and, uh, um, and again, as I was pointing out, it's up over 2020 levels. So that's very interesting. A lot of unicorns, a lot of value has been created out of this. A lot of unicorns. I don't think unicorns in any way, shape, or form should be considered uh, what's healthiest about an IoT or about a, a venture capital or a startup ecosystem. There's so many other uh, metrics that are far more important than that, like how many companies are being started and the IP they're putting away. But still, I think this is important that a lot of value has been created for that. Um, and then we see that um, that um, the climate and clean energy are the two biggest ones, um, which is exciting. I think, again, well, I already said that, but we're all concerned about that. I was interesting about this, that life under water, below water. I wasn't sure what that was. Is they were there looking to put humans below water, but it's apparently it's just everything about with just the seas, making sure the seas as healthy as possible. Um, and then, of course, there's also more uh, dry powder ready to come out. So 5.1 billion has been socked away to be invested in, in other things. So I think that's really uh, interesting thing. Uh, what's going on and exciting um, in this marketplace and startups. And uh, I think that's one of the things that interests me a lot in, in, in startup and venture capital and entrepreneurs is how much impact it's going to have, uh, how much it can potentially have socially and economically. Um, and this week on Thursday, we're going to um, have some people, uh, or we're going to have um, Rani Sharabi, who's going to be talking about the work she's doing with uh, women entrepreneurs in the Middle East and North Africa and talking about the impact that they have there. So that'll, uh, so hopefully you can make it there. Um, and with that, uh, I'm gonna bring on my guest here. Let me uh, let me make sure uh, my guest is hold on here a second. 
Let me uh, pull him up here really quickly. Oh, there we go. Okay, I just had the wrong window, no problem. Um, <laughs> so, hold on here. Okay, uh, Alexander, thank you. Thank you for being so patient. Um, welcome. Um, first, first of all, uh, I was doing a little research uh, about Alexander today, and I discovered that he has a Shiba Inu. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and he has a very rare uh, Shiba Inu. He has the, the white Shiba Inu, which is even rarer than the kind of the fox-colored Shiba Inu. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually a, a little jealous even. Um, how old is your dog, just out of curiosity? Yeah, no, my, mine is too. He's sleeping right behind. But how old is he? How old is he? Three years. Okay. Well, listen, so I did a review on your company uh, a little bit for this. So how many people are you today? On your, on your online, it said about eight people. Is that right? Okay. Okay. And it looks like you have a pretty good mix between men and women. Uh, I think it's about 60% and about 40% women, which is, which is pretty good mix in technology. of this but uh sadly it changes here maybe yeah. this next year we'll do better for this okay um hold on uh so <laughs> just real quickly I, I forgot to turn on, on on your sound a little bit so i was just saying with alexander he has a shiba inu like me uh and he confirmed that his shiba inu was was three years old so um and his shiba is also living the best life he's asleep right now sorry about that i uh a little technical problem so we're um so Okay, so about eight people, uh, good mix of men and women. Did you make a conscious choice to, to try and keep a team balanced with men and women? Or was that just you found the talented people and they just happened to be men and women? Uh, second option, we found talented people and it was the um, men and women because I guess at your stage, when you are eight people in company, it's a little bit difficult to have to follow path like this because you it's not... Recruiting is one of the most challenging issues, I guess, for all companies. And when you are a small team, it's even bigger. So if you find the talent, you take that man or woman. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you whatever, men or women, uh, antennas, it doesn't matter what they have, if they're human, whatever, it doesn't, just as long as they're part of it. What, um, your, your title you've listed as co founder. Who were the other co founders you started the company with? Uh, it's Yan, my CTO. Okay, Yan, your CTO. Um, and then you also have a chief data officer, but he wasn't one of the co-founders. No, he's not. Okay, so he yeah, came after. So Jan, your your CTO. So how are you getting along a year later, uh, working together, or a couple years later, working together with Jan? It a lot of people can compare um, being a co-founder and having another co-founder with being married, but yes. it's in some ways it's even more challenging. Is that the case for you? Um, we have a pretty good relationship, so I guess we can say the case when we have some arguments or we are not agree on something because we are becoming like a non-married couple. But in other case, no, it's pretty simple. Um, I guess um, 
main thing for us on when it's for good is when each people has his um, guideline or each people working on a matter subject and is like a dictator on it. So Jan is very technical. He's a dictator of technical thing. On me, I have the West, so um, it's pretty great. We have more trouble, I guess, when we come on other work to see something. So um, it's like if someone, a stranger, come into your house, so it's not very great. So if we don't do this, the relationship is very good and we are working very well together. So. It's very okay. nice. Okay, so you keep the division of labor. Uh, everybody keeps in their their part of the thing there. Uh, interesting. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Um, since you've been CEO, what are some of the ways you think you've grown as as a CEO? It's a pretty tough question because on so many things. Um, one thing I guess is what is a CEO? For most of people, CEO is the top of the company, the leader of the company, everything, the person representing the company in public and et cetera, et cetera. For me, I guess my definition of CEO will be a little bit different because for me, a CEO is the one doing what the other can do. So if you have someone in your team or maybe your finance or you have one people in finance and this people, um, this people is going to vacation, is going to maternity leave, is going to another company or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the time when you will replace these people, it's mm-hmm. the CEO will take back usually uh, in a small team, I speak. So um, for me, the CEO is a more multitask in the company and is like a fire keeper because you always go with fire to try to extend it on go further. So it's the first thing. And I guess it's the most challenging, one of the most challenging thing too, because maybe for 10 minutes, you will be focused on something. And after 10 minutes, you will go for another thing. On one hour, you will go on another thing. On one hour, you will go on another thing. And in one day, maybe you have five or six uh, different work. So you have done finance, you have done uh, recruitment, you have done sales, you have done management, you have done et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess it's one of the most difficult thing on one on the thing it helps you to grow the most because you encounter so many different things in one day and when you work on this thing you always work with your team so you are learning from your team so um, I think it's the two things that me grow the most and I can say you on what I go on the most because there is too many things, I guess. Oh. Uh, so you, you run around putting out fires on any given day. Well, I, I think uh, last week we, we actually, we had someone who was supposed to come on Thursday and he couldn't come because he had a big fire that he had to put out. Uh, so he couldn't make the, make the thing there. Um, what, so what is your day? What is, a, what is an average day? Do you have an average day? Uh, what, how do you break out your day? Um, what I, I try to do nowadays is to keep morning for focus time. Mm-hmm. So um, beginning of the week, I children my week. Uh, I try to keep focus time for morning on one or two subjects per morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, by example, we will focus on sales for morning, on after on finance. 
so you set uh, you split your morning in two tasks mm -hmm. and after for afternoon it's mainly meetings so sales meeting uh, team meeting management meeting etc 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 okay investor meeting etc etc investor meeting as well so the morning mornings tend to be more productive time and and when you when you're doing that do you like block your computer so that no one can interrupt you or are you are you cautious with your productivity time or do you, do you do a good job insulating yourself from from noise and distractions other than your um, other than your shiba inu i mean <laughs> yeah it can be not mine shiba is pretty sage on the day so he doesn't move so much he used to <laughs> but yeah. um for the day for the morning yes um i block my agenda mm -hmm. for blocking my notification i do very widely this because um a lot of the time when someone asks you a question in my team uh it's always often because they have an issue they need to fix to move on so if i don't respond quickly Mm -hmm. I block someone else. Um, I think their time is more precious than mine. So in this case, I prefer uh, give the priority to them and unblock them okay. instead of finishing what I'm communicating because I, I will catch back after. So it it sounds like as CEO, you try and be an enabler and to enable your people. Um, that's that's always a good thing. What what do you think? Uh, just what what do you think? Um, what would you tell a younger version of yourself? If you could speak to yourself like before you started this. What would you go back and and say to yourself? What would you be? Uh, any advice you'd give yourself? Um, we have an expression in France. I guess you guess I am French with the pronunciation, but okay. we have an, exp an expression in France is a sentence is laisser le temps au temps, and in English I guess is let time do its work. Yeah. Um, I think when we work in startup or you are young, a little bit hyperactive, etc., uh, you want to go faster and faster and faster and even faster than you can make on a lot faster every day. Um, today. I beginning, not yet fully understand it on I knowledge it, but I'm beginning to understand that sometimes you can watch the time on you need time or let some time to see the impact, see the numbers, see the KPI and see if it's a good decision. You can validate a strategy and decision in one week or one month. Sometimes you need two weeks, two months, yeah. one year, etc. Um I guess it's the most uh, precious advice. I would like to have if I were younger, but I'm not sure if I were younger today, I will listen to it. So, yeah, that, that's that's a really good point. Which is, uh, we have maybe ideas, but we're not sure we would listen. That's that's a good interesting. What about okay? So there's been there's been a a, a shift in the marketplace. There's been a shift in focus by a lot of companies by investors. Um, so there's more from growth at all cost. Now to more responsible go growth, um, you raised money. I think last year on December, December last year, you raised something like I think on Crunchbase it says something like a million. Um, and so, where have have you seen pushback from the investors? Are the invest what are they have the investors been? Have you felt any pressure from them with the market shifting? Are they telling you to be really careful, or have they given you useful guidance? Or what's what's the feeling there? I guess the first thing is from March to June, every the most of all investors, most of investors did a cash review for their startup because mm -hmm. if they didn't do that, 
uh, they will have a lot of chance to fire on they don't want this and we don't want this so um, i guess for march yes the cash is king a uh, lot of people say that incubator did a great post for this and um, it was on months things they did with us on all startups in their portfolio and it was very helpful and from the impact of the market that we can see is that i guess investors today are more cautious about about how they invest in which companies invest and in which condition they invest and so it's difficult for a startup to raise money nowadays because it's not there is no investor i guess if you would like to find money you will always find money is not a problem for this but the problem is the time you will spend to find money on the different step because before match uh if you were at step five it was okay you know your deal will be okay on maybe even if there is five step more hmm. it will be closing and it's okay i guess nowadays you can go to step eight or nine on the deal can break and you will not go on the step eight or nine with free investor as begin uh, as before but maybe five of ten of them yeah so um, in the startup world, in my startup world, we often say um, a fundraising is like a plain, full job and you have no life for six months. And uh, I guess today it's worse than this on the time spent. Yeah. So it's for me the big difference in the market nowadays is this: is not the you don't find money, you can find money, but it will more time consuming or so more difficult because when you invest your time in fundraising and even more in that you don't the rest of your company is needed yeah so so as you're investing all your time and in and in, in, in finding investors you're you're negligent you're not being a real manager you're not actively putting all your effort there um that makes sense uh it's so are so are are you guys trying to um then avoid that? Are you going more towards a bootstrapping model or or, or would you just what what are your long-term plans or is that something you even want to discuss today? Um your case is pretty particular because for no we we extend our runway don't we don't need money on okay for us on normally next year we can be profitable if we wish but um we have big competitor in the us emerging mm -hmm. so i guess you know the <laughs> the pitch between us and europe and you have more money in us less money in europe etc etc so um, for us if we don't fundraise next year it can be quite challenging to follow the speed of the us uh, startup so it's a tough question. We don't have the solution yet, but maybe we'll go next year. Maybe we will not. We'll see. Always reacting, but more our markets or our competitor more than the entire market and the economic situation. Yeah, your your company. Do you have a U.S. customers today? Do you have customers uh, in the U.S.? Yes, you do. Yeah, because yeah, some. Because your your product looks like a very global product. I mean, it doesn't look like it's necessarily tailored. It's your website's in English. Um, it looks like it was built to go global from day one. So you already have business over there. Yes, we. Have. Okay, uh, is it challenging to support those customers in the U.S. at all? 
a little bit because um, working sales, when you customer care and do some sales with American and you are not American, it's little big and handicapped. So I guess it's um, first thing on the second thing can be the time zone because if your team is based in Europe and you are working with US, you have you need to adapt your time zone and be very more responsive with US because I guess you are more used to than me because you're American, so you know it. But in US, you have an answer in the day. In, for example, for often customer care will respond you in less than one hour, and a sales will respond you in a day. In Europe, sometimes you take one one day, two days. So the most challenging thing with US is to follow this rule <laughs> with the time zone. Yeah, that's that. So make sure that you're being reactive, but yeah, if you get something at the end of the day, it you you know another twelve hours could elapse or sixteen hours could elapse before you guys get back to it. Yes, we have often email at uh, um, twelve p.m. or twenty-two on the on the evening. So yeah, it's pretty hard sometimes to not respond. Sometimes we respond. Sometimes we say, "Okay, we will respond tomorrow." But it's pretty, it's pretty hard to to sometimes just stand back and say, "Okay, can wait till tomorrow." Have you uh, to to expand in the U.S.? Are you eventually going to look to build a, a team over in the United States, a support team in the U.S.? I guess it yeah. can be a challenge for us. End of next year, we have an, um, we are trying something. Yeah. So um, it will be maybe a subject or maybe not because at the until this month we were mainly focused on direct sales. And where you do direct sales, it's better to have a team in every country you are going because you need to know the culture. Someone is selling with pain, etc., etc., etc. From December, we take a part of a product of a platform and we will integrate into sales marketplace. To distribute it in self a self-service way with a different approach so with no sales on in this case um i guess it will be easier to sales abroad without direct sales uh, it's our target and if we are successful doing it um i guess the us team will be less critical that if we still focus on direct sales. All right, so, so it sounds like you're shifting a little bit, uh, your strategy more of um, a product-led strategy, but also including partnering as well. So um, is, you said the CRM platform, which CRM platform are you gonna be working with? Um, the first one would be Upspot. Okay. Because I guess in one of the easier to integrate with, um, okay. with a great impact. On um, the next one for now, it's still in reflection. Yeah, uh, I know that, that there's a company. Um, I mentioned them in our prep call for this. The one that does uh, all the data re reveal. I think it's reveal, and they built an integration for, on Salesforce, uh, and that was very helpful to them to help help grow their business. 
they're big fans of Salesforce. So uh, that's a really interesting idea. So more, more of a thing that I was going to ask you about that. Your tool, um, let's maybe go back and talk a little bit about what your tool does. So why don't you tell us how Lone Scale, what you guys do and what it does exactly? Okay. Uh, Lone Scale is, is to help you identify your most likely buyers. So the idea of Landscale is to make an all-in-one platform to fuel buying intents into sales pipeline, into the company pipeline. The idea of it is pretty simple. Is for a company, the sales pipeline is the best source of revenue. But a lot of companies focus on unqualified lead. So they lost a lot of time on a lot of money because if you go for unqualified lead, for example, if you focus, your sales focus 40% of that time on unqualified lead during a year. So if your sales can handle $1 million pipeline per year at the first January, when it begins the year, mm. he, uh, he, he had already lost $400,000 beginning the year. So um, on the statistic, is an average for the US. So for the most of B2B companies in the US, they lost 40% of annual revenue in lost pursuit cost, focusing on unqualified lead. So the idea on scale is to detect intent sales trigger events on the web and to fuel the pipeline with it, to add sales team and marketing team focusing on qualified lead with buying power on the right timing. Example of intent for do, to do this is the first one is track job changes. If you have a great customer with you, working maybe using your product for one year, and he moves from one company to another one, it can be a good fit in the new company or a good champion to expand in the new company if you don't work with them already. So you need to detect it yeah. the fast as you can to engage this customer. Okay. For example. And so are there triggers, for example, do you, if, if you have someone who's a customer and helped or, and helped onboard on your solution at another company and you see that he's changed jobs, you'll automatically get a trigger then when your CRM to say, go look at this account or not necessarily, possibly? Yes, yes, it's this, you, you get a trigger in the account, you can automatically put them in, the, in, in an outbound sequences, uh, email sequences, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I know um, as someone who's worked in digital marketing before, we often focus on how many leads we're generating um, because that's a great top line number. You're like, hey, look, with our Google ads and, uh, and our, our, our content strategy, we generated X number of leads. But the real question is, is if that's just noise, if they're not good leads, um, then really all you're really doing is making work for your sales team. Um, and uh, yes. they're not... And they're not necessarily generating revenue. And salespeople, you know, they're they're paid to generate revenue. So, um, uh, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, how how you said you've sh you're shifting your sales model a little bit today to more product led, working off of off integrations. Before it looks like you were focused. Are you focused mostly on SaaSes and B two B SaaSes? That your ideal client. Mm, your ideal client nowadays, yes, is more software company with more than 50% okay. uh, in the company or more than 5 to 10 sales uh, webs. But um, for contract tracking intent, by example, I guess every business to business company 
could use it um, as long as uh, um, their customer on the web. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really interesting. So, um, yeah, it's 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 just a it's a classic thing. And then, of course, um, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, that the the quality aspects of leads is just so important. What what other things? Um, I spent some time on your website. You speak of one thing before. Yeah. Interesting because you say the economic context change. Yeah. So for investor, fundraising, etc. But it changed for acquisition cost too. Because at the beginning of the year, if you spend, as you said, 1 million in Google Ads on after 10, 10 sales to work on this lead on maybe 50% of these leads were qualified, it was not a problem because you had money was cheap and you will go hire one other size to work on unqualified lead and continue the process. But know that the um, customer acquisition costs skyrockets and you cannot uh, continue to spend as much as after before. You need to switch from a padding of quantity versus quality. And so we, we are seeing a lot of company coming for the model they generate thousands of leads every month coming to, okay, we need to focus on quality lead with intent and do the good work because if we do this, we'll spend less in acquisition and even we will spend less on the sales because we will need less sales or if we keep the same number of sales, there will be more focus on closing deal. Yeah. And so transforming opportunity into revenue what is their work on not working with unqualified lead? But also, I think you know the other thing, aspect of it is is that if you build a great uh, revenue channel um, and it, you competently execute on your revenue strategy, salespeople become easier to hire because salespeople talk to salespeople and they're like, "Hey, this we got great leads," and then everyone wants to come on board and work for that company. They're like, "Okay, the product market fit is figured out." And we've got good leads. We've got, you know, and, and so it makes so much, everything else so much easier um, as it's far true. as the hiring practice. And even, even, even on the engineering side, when your engineers see that your sales and your revenue team are executing, your, your engineers are motivated too. Um, there's, you know, there's nothing worse when they see that sales and marketing aren't executed and, and that they're asking for changes on the product roadmap. That's always really frustrating. Um, what it's what other what what are some other key intent markers? You mentioned a few there, but are there some other ones that really pop out in your mind that people should be looking at? What, like yes, the, the second one is a very interesting one because if you speak with a sales team of a company, mm -hmm. you will often see that one or the two top performers of the company are doing the same thing, mm -hmm. but the company don't, don't automate the entire process. The mm. thing is to go fetch some buying intent in the job offer. Mm -hmm. I, I will give you an example. One of top, say top, top performer in Europe for Aircall was knowing that Aircall are good Salesforce integration. Mm -hmm. The only way to do it was to go on Indeed or LinkedIn job, mm -hmm. type um, recruiting sales and with Salesforce. Mm -hmm. So um, he was able to detect 
which company work on Salesforce or which one are expanding the sales team, so they will need a call. So he had the timing, one of the first motto for salespeople, and the second thing was the pain. And with this, he was able to prospect them or have a way better transformation rate than other people in the same team. Yeah, that's great, yeah. So one of the second intent we have is uh, job by intent. So mm -hmm. fetching intent from job offer, giving you timing on buying power on paying you can, your product solve. And it's a very interesting one because very few companies use this one, but there's so many good way to use this. And the first thing is, I guess, in every sales company with more than 10 to 15 sales people, often one of them, one of the best one of them uh, uses intent, but it's not scale at the company, at yeah. the entire company, so. Well, I, I remember doing this years ago, looking for like, uh, looking for companies that were hiring for IoT. You're like, okay, they're hiring for IoT, and then you try and call in, and but this, like you said, this wasn't done at a process level across the company, and that's unfortunate. Um, as a you know, uh, we we talk a lot uh, in 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 startup culture and SaaS culture and entrepreneur culture. We talk a lot about acronyms and 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 different um, uh, statistics that were or different data that we're using to manage our business. What are, what are the things that are on your dashboard on any given day? What are you paying attention to most as far as like statistics? Are you, do you look at things like churn? Do you look at uh, things? Uh, what, what are the, what are the acronyms or, or for example, average lifetime revenue or what are you paying to attention to most out of curiosity? Mm. Um, I guess we check a lot for three things in that scale. One is your MR. I guess it's the first thing a lot of startups check for revenue. Mm. The second thing is one we are very sensitive to is uh, APU, the average revenue per customer. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a good metric for us. On the last one, maybe, yes, will be the churn, but we have the chance until now. We have a very, very low uh, churn rate. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not the one we put the most effort on it, I guess. It, it, as, from a product standpoint, was there thought given to your product when you put it out to, to be able to grow the revenue on the back end of the products that you would have an initial sell, but then you would be able to expand out um, the product and, and be able to sell more services or sell, sell, raise the average revenue per client? Yes, we had some use case. At the beginning, we have only the job intent. So we had the contact tracking on the account enrichment intent. So today we have three intents. Uh, it's helped us to grow the usage and so the revenue on our platform is the first thing. And the second thing is um, with the time our products become more stronger. Mm -hmm. I guess for the three intents, nowadays we are maybe not the first in your market in terms of uh, team size or revenue, but I guess we have one of the best, even the best product in the market to do this. So on the stronger one. So with this, it's helped you sometimes to raise your price, going to the new market. And one of the key metrics was for us because one of the key things was beginning of the year, we often sell 
your first plane, your first or second plane in terms of price range uh, at the first step. On from last quarter, maybe this summer, we have um, we have been have a lot of increasing of the size of the plans as the customer take at the first hand. Yeah. So it was a very strong signal for us, very positive one. And we are very happy with this one. Yeah, we, we had a few weeks ago, we had, uh, we had winning by design on here and they were talking about the shape of a funnel is a bow tie. So you get your prospects out to your business and then after that, it should expand out um, and go grow the revenue out. So it sounds like you guys figured that earlier on. Um, you you mentioned customer acquisition cost. Um, how about you? I mean, uh, one of the things at SaaS Talk recently, everyone was talking about customer acquisition costs and they everyone was mentioning that it was out of control. Um, and, and of course, on top of that, um, so, and that, that's really a key, that's a, that's a big thing for a lot of companies. Uh, how do they keep that cost down? So I noticed a lot of people had been moving away from Google ads. More people were working on more of a organic content strategy. Um, I saw that you have an organic content strategy. Um, it, with the market having changed, is, is this disadvantageous, the CAC thing? I mean, is it more expensive for you to go get clients or has it made people more sensitive to what you're presenting and more, more willing to listen to your value proposition? Um, I'm not sure for, to the, for the answer for this, but what I can say on the content part is uh, we, begin, we begin recently yeah. to build a good content strategy. We try. We will try to execute it well. And I think content is very profitable for a company in many ways, because you have the acquisition part. Mm -hmm. The content can help you to have more leads coming inbound. So if you go do a great SEO, you will spend less in Google Ads, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the content is help you to to do many other things at this. The first one, I guess, is help you sell because when you have great content your sales can use it or you can automate the way to push it to your prospects during the entire funnel. So you can keep with content adding some value on the sales process. And if you would like to keep one touch point for each prospect each week, mm -hmm. which I guess is the best way to do it. Uh, if you can you have content. You can push one week, one super content for them. On the next week, a good content. On the third week, a good content. And so we will keep contact with prospects into, uh, during the sales process, okay. bringing them value. So um, it will be good for you too. So um, not only for inbound, but I guess for sales process. And the last thing is for customer care and CETA, it's very good too. We have a lot of customer. We push some articles, some playbook to help us use better land scale, but we can use the same playbook with your leads. So, and we use the same playbook for acquisition. So I guess content can improve a lot of team work on a lot of our process. Ads will just improve your acquisition for time on for some money. So I guess content in the long-term strategy is a way, is, very more profitable than acquisition with ads. Yeah, I, I was, I was, um, I found that interesting. It was palpable that people 
maybe I'm naive or something like that, but it, it seemed like people were definitely moving away from Google ads and, and they saw that, that it just wasn't very effective. Um, and that a content approach, I think for a lot of the reasons you just outlined there. Um, but it's, it's linked to the market because with Google ads, if you spend maybe 1000, you know, you will earn 2000. So if you need to go faster and faster, Google ads is the easiest way to do it. If you go for content way, it will take time and money and it will pay maybe after three months, six months, one year, et cetera. So if you go for API growth, you need ads. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Really interesting idea. I guess, I, I, I guess uh, uh, and also, I guess if you're going to do Google ads, I guess it works best as a complement to a strong or content strategy. Uh, if you just try and yes. do Google ads without a content strategy, it's just not going to work very well anyhow. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, we uh, spoken to a lot of founders and CEOs. Um, you look pretty well rested, I have to admit, but a lot of them complain about uh, the toll it takes on them physically and mentally. And I think I think being at a startup is a little bit like being on a roller coaster. It's kind of an emotional roller coaster up and down. So what do you do? I know you have a dog. Uh, so, um, but what what do you do to balance your life on the on the mental and the physical side? Are you doing anything extra to try and do that? Meditate or what are your thoughts? I, <laughs> I guess it's very hard. And um, I, I have not the good recipe for this. Um, I, we were doing some boxing with my CTO. We were at the same box club. Mm -hmm. So it was very nice to, to go there one time a week. Um, but in other case, it's not easy to find a balance um, and be at your top every day because in the co-founder position, you need to be at your top every day because you, if you are maybe a little bit stressed about something or worried about something, you can share it with your team because in other case, they will stress and worry too. Mm -hmm. And you don't want them stress and worried for nothing. You want them focus on doing their best. So you are a little bit alone on your island. But um, I guess uh, the most common recipe is have a good personal life. So if you are very stable and have a good personal life, by example, have a dog, <laughs> it can help you to be more calm and focusing on what matters. On give more chance to split while your time because without dog i was working every weekend no i have a dog sometimes one time a week i need to walk it out in the forest so even on sunday i will not work so i can walk out the dog in the forest hours. so i get one of the best recipe can be ever got get, get <laughs> a dog. dog adopt a dog yes okay so you ha you have to do a minimum amount of walks per day and get out uh, just for the day. Uh, that, that's really interesting. How many how many uh, my Shiba Inu hardly needs to go out. He only needs to go out like twice a day. So it's not a dog that needs to walk a lot. Um, yes, he can stay. He's just sleep. He can stay asleep all day long. Uh, but yeah. one time a day, you don't know why. He's for right fifteen back. minutes, yeah, they become crazy, and they yeah they run around. Um, yes, they run around the corner, around the 
on the space. You don't know why on zero neuron, like full speed. Yeah, that's the the uh, in French we say the the fifteen minutes of craziness. Um, yeah. It's funny in the United States now. Everyone is talking about a dog as they say a uh, emotional support animal. I just call him my dog, but I guess in a way, an animal can be an emotional support animal. Well, so you mentioned not being able to share things with your employees. So um, sometimes a CEO, a co-founder, you need to be stoic. You need to, um, you have fires that need to be put out. You're confident you'll be able to put out those fires, but you're also, there's background stress. The investors, we don't always want to share everything that's going on with our company, uh, with the investors either. Um, sometimes, <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> I will stop directly. Uh, you directly. For two things. The first thing is we are in land scale. In your case, yeah. we are pretty transparent with your team, so they know how many catch we have. They they know how many revenue we have, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They know everything. So um, we share this information, but we share this information on a monthly basis mm -hmm. and um, for fundraising, etc. Too, and we would we won't like we wouldn't like to avoid them on the day basis. And if you have a bad news, we try to be able to I don't know the term in English, but to very precise the range of the news on the bad news, etc. To I, be to I think have a very good communication on it contextualize we try and contextualize yes. the bad news yes okay yes and to have all the criteria on the KPI and the bad news to to be sure or we communicate it so um, it's why we are doing on sometimes you can have a bad news on monday we will communicate it maybe on wednesday and for two days you have to be stoic as you say but you will communicate on this bad news but you just would like to do it well it's the first thing the second thing i guess uh, for us is one on mantra is to not hold um news from your investor yeah we have a monthly report on which share everything if you have bad news we share it uh if you have concern we share it if you're in debt we share it uh we don't want to hold something mm. on in six months they will discover it because you break the tr the relationship yeah, you but... break the trust on i guess it's not well because you want to understand having you back in any time and you can't have this if you take back thing from them yeah if you, i think the the proper term is withhold if you if you will hold information yeah. or dissemble show the wrong information well what about what about other parties do you do you have resources like do you speak with other founders or with other ceos of startups to get advice from third party where do you go to get advice other than your co-founder other than your employees or colleagues and other than investors who are your resources mm -hmm. First thing is, I guess we are less um, good in France to do this because um, I like, I love speak with other founder on each change about problematic and etc. But I try to do it once a month for the uh, lunch, for example. Mm -hmm. But it's difficult to keep it because we are less good, for example, than the US to do this. But what um, I guess we have in common in France to do this is 
we use a lot of playbook, a lot of podcasts. Um, we have some knowledge uh, sharing between funder. Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking about something, on, I will have some example, something I, I have some other and can text and say, okay, we are going for fundraising. Uh, I'm not sure about your pitch deck. Uh, can you share the last one, or et cetera, et cetera. On nowadays, it's more easy, I guess, to share. People are less trust, uh, are, sorry, are trust more yeah. other people. Uh, we are not in their company than the past. I guess if you go four years ago, not too much people share pitch deck for fundraising on sharp playbooks, sales playbook, et cetera, et cetera. Nowadays, it's very more common for my side. Case. That's interesting because the, the culture, um, one of the things we've commented about at, at B2B Rocks and talked about is that the culture that started in Silicon Valley is spreading. And that's true that I, I, I have spoken with people in the past in Europe who are reticent to share information. Um, but in the US, kind of very open, maybe too open. Uh, and so it's the part. Yeah. It's the part because. Um, in this summer, we try something because uh, normally I, I plan a trip to, to New York. So I try to contact uh, US folk yeah. to to meet on something like this. And I have zero response. <laughs> so maybe my message was bad. But in US, yeah. you are very open if you have an introduction. Yeah. If you don't have an introduction for cold approach, even if you are founder to CEO, et cetera, et cetera, you don't often answer or maybe it's because i'm french i don't yeah. know <laughs> but, uh... I, I don't i don't think being a french is a is a handicap i think uh, people are often curious to learn and and an accent i think is often really useful um wh- what about what about personal development you mentioned podcasts and playbooks and, and reading the like do you set aside time to for you to feed your brain uh, and what percentage of time do you set aside for you? I mean, you know, you're you're working long days, you're working long weeks. So it seems like in order to do that, you have to have a little bit of discipline about that. Uh, you can't just make that like, oh, I have 15 minutes free. I'm going to watch a podcast. But I'm just kind of curious. W- w- how do you do that? Uh, for podcasts, it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. When I am on a journey mm-hmm. to go to office or something like this, podcast is good. So I guess for podcasts is mainly this, or if you are in car trip and something like this, you can have podcast. Um, I am pretty bad to read um, books for work. I yeah. read a lot, yeah. but I am reading a lot other things at work. Okay. So um, on books. Yeah. So for this, I don't use many books for work, and I guess it's a mistake. But I booked a lot of books, maybe 50 of them on every year. I, I try to book every month. I try to book one or two and I never read them. So it's in the office, in the case, and it doesn't move. So <laughs> That's a... I'm sorry for this, but sorry for myself. and sorry for the three I, I consume for, for well, that. But um... your brain needs to, I mean, you can't just be focused on work and improving your brain all the time. Sometimes your brain just needs free time to just Relax and, and have downtime as well. So you, you can't you can't focus on that all the time. Um, 
when you got started yes. in, in France, uh, did you did you start out? Did your company start out in an incubator, or how did you get started? Would you receive support from French Tech or from any of the local ecosystem or everything? No, nothing. Okay, how did you guys no. get started? Um, alone. Alone. <laughs> no, um, I tried to make a first startup maybe almost ten years ago uh, when I was students and uh, we go we 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 went for incubator we went for French tech we went for a lot of things and it was not a success for us because we spent a lot of we spent a lot of time to build some document to send them etc etc and um, it never worked because I guess in France often if you want to go this in this way you need to be introduced by your school by someone, by C, by C. And so um, when we will not scale, okay. we decide to hold on, not hold on. comply any file. Okay. So is it is it because you need credibility? It's the issue of like, you don't have enough credibility if you just show up on your own. Do you think it's an issue where they want to see people that are kind of like uh, important people in that sense? Or is, is that why? Is uh, that I don't think so is I think most common way to do it is um is the same than when you are in some school and you would like to go to engineer school and commerce school. If you come from the good prep, you will go in. If you come from the bad prep, you have lessons to go in. So um I think for incubator, etc., it was the same ten years ago. I don't know if it's still the same, but the decision for us was simple: is okay. We, will we uh, will we spend time mm -hmm. on building some documents to go incubate and something like this, and not know if it will be a success, or we will make use time to sell, and we decide to sell instead of making documents, so to go for revenue. And for us, it was a good decision, but. I guess it depends on your context, what you are doing. Into, uh, I guess accelerator, incubator are very great. Yeah. Um, it's a very good decision to go to them, but for me, we decide not. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. I mean, I think there's a there's a a, a great ecosystem here, but um, I've it, it's interesting to hear your your take on that. And it sounded like you guys just. You tried that one time, and then the next time you just tried to do things on your own, and it seems like you've gotten further this way. Um, a lot of people, when they go to do a startup, one of the things they have trouble with is meeting a co-founder. Um, so oftentimes there's one person who's either strong technically or strong in a marketing, sales marketing background, a revenue background. Um, but usually they're missing the other person. How did you meet your CTO? How did you, uh, how did you two meet? Um, I hunt him. Yeah, <laughs> you you hunted him. Okay, I like that. Uh, yes, on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. So okay, so you went and you contacted him on LinkedIn, and and what was your sales pitch? What what were you like? Hey, I have a great idea. You need to join me. Uh, we'll make we'll conquer the world. Uh, what was your sales pitch? Um. I don't remember it well, but um, the idea was I identified maybe 50, 15 to 20 people. Yeah. Uh, fitting the possibility to to do it together on 
I go for them. On like a very good fit with Jan, we maybe speak for from three to six months yeah. before doing something together. We try to work a little bit together. It was a great fit, and so we go full on. Great. Oh, that's incredible. I think because that's one of the biggest challenges people made. Like, uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, especially I think it's it's more often that you have someone with a sales and marketing background that's looking for someone technical. Um, yeah, and, but and, yeah, the, the best recipe for this is go work on the scale up. Because if you work one, maybe one year or two years and scale up, then we go to the next process phase and we'll encounter a lot of people in the startup world. So we'll encounter people can be co-founder and when there will be a next phases, a lot of them would like to leave. Mm-hmm. So it will be the right time to find your co-founder, I guess. Yeah, that, that's often the case. I, I think about um, Twilio right now. I don't know if you know Twilio, but they did a big layoff. And I was just thinking about there's going to be so many companies that start up from the people that got laid off at Twilio. There's, yes. there's a lot of talented people there that made a lot of money and they're going to be like, okay, let's go. I want to go do my own startup now and see if I can do it. Um, so in a way, I kind of think of like our industry a little bit of like seasons. You have spring, summer, fall, and winter. And so maybe we're in fall right now. Maybe we're going towards winter, but this will just start a new cycle and a new season. And every year they get more advanced. So you went and hunted your uh, CTO down. You went and found him. That's that's uh, inspiring because I think that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people, especially revenue centric people. Um, is where did they find the technical person to build some of this? Um, about that. Uh, so you found your CTO. What about hiring? Um, hiring. Have had you ever hired before you started your company? Had you yes. ever? You had. So you had some experience hiring. Yes. Um, but do you consider hiring? Uh, is it? Is I mean, for me, it would be rather nerve wracking to hire because it's it's really important that you find the right fit and the good person. So, um, is that a big challenge for you, or or how do how, how do you think about hiring? Um. I think the big challenge is to find the candidates um, on bring them in your hiring process because it's the sourcing of the candidate as the right candidate. And after, when they're in the hiring process, is to convert them to come with you. I guess it's a two big step in the process for us. The hiring process in terms of uh, meetings, etc., was more easy for us because we had we did some scorecard we have very good um template interview etc so it was not a very pain for us but the most thing was to find the right people mm-hmm. success to bring them during the interview process okay yeah. um on it's a trouble for a lot of people, I guess, because in other case, Edunt will not exist. Yeah. And what about, I mean, the, the, I think these are big stereotypes, but um, I have to be careful here. But in, in the US, we often, this is, a, again, a big stereotype. I'm going to qualify this. I think in France, people tend to look more at your resume or they tend to look at what you've already accomplished. Um, Especially the more senior the role, they're going to look at more of what you've published. And, um, but I think there's more of an 
you put more of that emphasis on France, what have you accomplished? It's more of what's your potential, what's your motivation? Um, do you have a perspective on that? I guess you are right for big company in France, um, older company, but for startup, no, it's more potential. Yeah, so you really so look at... We were, yes, we, lo we looked for potential on it, etc. We didn't look for experience. So personal culture, make sure the culture fits and potential. Yes. Yes, in your case, we didn't ask you resume. We take only LinkedIn profile, by example. So... Really interesting. Um, are there, there, are there anything else uh, you'd like to share with our audience? Anything spontaneously that comes from you? Any thoughts that you maybe thought of while you were preparing for this? Mm, okay, for me, I don't know if you have any question yet, or the audience have any question. No, I, I didn't see any questions. Uh, they they seem pretty calm today. It it seems gray here, so it may be uh, my. Uh, a little bit sleepy. Well, listen, um, what's, your, what's your Sheba's name? What's your dog's name? Uh, Simba. Simba. Okay. Well, listen, I hope I get to Paris soon. Uh, I can introduce my dog to yours. Um, yes. Uh, that'd be great. Thank you very much for your time. I know you're very busy. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your audience. And, uh, and hopefully we'll check in with you guys and see how you're doing in, in, in a couple months or six months or a year from now. Perfect. Thank you for the invitation, Steve. See you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, uh, well, uh, interesting guy. Um, interesting company. Uh, of course, you know, really focused, uh, as you have to be with a startup really focused on execution and, and getting things done. Uh, be interesting to keep an eye on this company and, and see where they are soon. Um, later in the week, on the 17th, on Thursday at 1 p.m., we're going to have uh, Ronnie uh, um, Ronnie uh, on Zapping her last name, Rani Shariba on, and we're going to be talking about kind of the role of entrepreneurship and um, and SaaS in the Middle East and North Africa and what they're doing uh, to empower women there. Um, I think it should be really interesting. Um, it's it's interesting because not only are they empowering women, but they're also building bridges uh, across different social economic cultures. Uh, I look forward to seeing you there on Thursday. Uh, so hopefully you'll have some time and you can check in with us. Everybody, have a great day. Bye-bye. There it is. Empowering men and women with entrepreneurship. See you then. Bye-bye.